Over the last um, little bit, or long while, we've been reading through the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, for the past couple of weeks, we've been reading about Jesus entering into Jerusalem and being confronted with uh, the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, and representatives from the Sanhedrin. Last week, we got this text where they had come up to Jesus and they had challenged him. Jesus, where are you getting, where do you have the authority to speak the way you're speaking? And he turned the question around in a way that challenged them that they had to go back and try to come up with a game plan because their their authority had been challenged. So Jesus is responding with an almost non-response. Instead of telling them that he had authority, he showed them that they virtually didn't have any authority themselves. Then he continued with a parable. That's where we get our reading today. Our reading today comes from Matthew chapter 21, verses 33 through 46. Hear now the word of our Lord. Listen to another parable, Jesus said. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, but he put a fence around it and he dug a wine press in it and he built a watchtower. And then he leased it to tenants and went to another country. And when the harvest time had come, he sent his slaves to the tenants to collect his produce. But when the tenants sleed the tenants, they seized his slaves and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. So again, the landowner sent other slaves more than the first time, and they treated them in the same way. So finally, the landowner sent his son to them, saying, Surely they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, Ah, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and get his inheritance. And so they seized him. They threw him out of the vineyard and they killed him. So now when the landowner, Jesus asked, of the vineyard, when the landowner comes, what will he do to those tenants? But then the leaders said to Jesus, Well, of course, he will put the wretched to a miserable death and lease the vineyard to other tenants who will finally give him the produce and the harvest at harvest time. And so Jesus said to them, have you never read the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and it is amazing in our eyes. Therefore, Jesus said, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and will be given to a people to pro- that will finally produce fruits of the kingdom. The one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces and it will crush anyone to whom it falls. So when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they realized that he was speaking about them. They wanted to arrest him, but they feared the crowds because they regarded Jesus as a prophet. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. When you hear the word repentance, what comes to mind? Guilt? Maybe a feeling of sorrow of, for having done something wrong? Maybe deep contrition. If you like one of those big Christian words that comes from maybe your favorite hymn even if you have no idea what it means? Come on, we all do that as Christians, right? We we pull out these words that we really like, even though we have no idea what they mean, and then we use them. Here we have one of the ancient Jewish practices of telling the story of a vineyard, what I like to call vineyard tales. 
And these vineyard tales are always rooted in a call to repentance. Have you ever been in a situation where you're listening to a song and you're thinking, ah, I know that song. What is that? And you keep listening and you think, this sounds so unfamiliar and yet I know the words. And then you realize someone is redoing maybe a remake or a new version of an old song. Now, I think that's what we're challenged to do as Christians. And I think in every day and age, actually every Sunday, what we're called to do is to be storytellers, maybe not necessarily remaking old hits, but trying to take the old stories and retell them in a way that helps us understand in our own context, in our own day, what the writer of the original song must have meant. That we hear it and it moves us in such a way that we feel like we have to retell the same story or we have to re-sing the same song, maybe in a different way so that the key points of it are made. Um, you know, a famous example of this is how many people have ever been moved by the words of Bob Dylan? And yet how many different versions of Bob Dylan's songs are there? Not because the songs themselves or the melodies or even the way that Bob Dylan sang them were so pleasing, but because they were put together in such a way that when you heard them, they called out something deep inside you. All along the watchtower, right? Princes kept their view, right? right? So you, you can hear these words that really move you in a way that you know, maybe if we redo it, some, someone will actually get the point. Maybe if we retell the story, you'll be able to get the meaning of it. Well, over the years, I have come to realize that people clearly have a misunderstanding of what the word repentance means. In Greek, the original word is metanoia. I like to teach you Greek every so often, not because I'm good at it, because some words are really important. Metanoia. Can I get you all to say that? Metanoia. The word actually means turn around. To change your mind, it's like a U-turn. So when you hear this word metanoia, it should remind you of a U-turn sign. It says, uh, up here, you've got to turn around. Or maybe your GPS saying, rerouting, rerouting, right? Metanoia. So the misunderstanding of this word in the West can be traced to a Latin mistranslation so that one scholar actually said that it was a linguistic and theological tragedy that metanoia was mistranslated. So for some help, I want to remind us of that peanut story that I taught with the kids. So, you know, Lucy might have, might have actually felt guilty. She might have actually had deep contrition for what she had done, but the problem was not what she felt or even her admission of guilt. The problem was she didn't change her actions. So today, I want to challenge you to think this, that repentance has nothing to do with how you feel. Whether you feel sorry for what you've done is missing the point. If you feel sorry, and you're able to admit you've done something wrong, those are great. But they're only good insofar as they lead you to change your behavior. If someone is being hurt by your behavior or by the way that the world is, Jesus is calling us, pay attention, the world is not the way it should be. Repent, Jesus says. John the Baptist says. The reign of heaven has come and it's your time to do something different, for something new to happen. So I want you to separate those three things in your mind as you listen to Jesus tell these stories. There's 
the feelings of sorrow. There's the act of confession. But then there's the call to repentance. And the call to repentance is about actually changing your behavior, metanoia. So what does this have to do with vineyard tales and remakes of old songs? Well, it's because, as you saw, I intentionally had us this morning, I changed one of our readings to have Isaiah 5 because I wanted to hear you hear Isaiah tell the story, this vineyard tale, before I read Jesus' version of it so that you could see that what Jesus is doing is retelling an ancient story that's a part of the Hebrew practice of telling these stories rooted in the call to repentance. There was this vineyard, and the landowner loved it, and he took care of it, and he put everything in place. And in Isaiah, Isaiah tells the story, but the vineyard produced wild grapes, and they were nasty, and they made horrible wine. And then if you continue to read Isaiah, he says, and so God looked and looked for justice, but he found bloodshed. He looked for righteousness, and all he found was weakness. And so Isaiah continues to say, and so this is with the people of Israel. The land that God has given you is going to be taken away from you. And foreigners are going to come and take it over. Because God gave you a gift and you decided to exploit it. You had been called to be a special people. And God was going to make promises out of you. And all you did was want to be like everybody else. You had no interest in growing a fruitful vineyard of taking care of the world that you had been given. And so it's going to be taken away from you. That was Isaiah's version of the story. But, you know, Isaiah is just re-articulating another ancient story that at some point in time in Israel, in Jewish history, this story started being told, and I think we know it somewhat, the story of a garden, Garden of Eden, and some people being placed in the garden and called to be caretakers of it. And it produced fruit, but that fruit only turned into wickedness. You remember that story? There's a key part of that story, by the way, I'm talking about the Garden of Eden and the Genesis chapters 2 and 3. And the fruit that came, right, and, and this problem that happened, and they did what God told them not to do, and then God comes and confronts them. And you probably heard me say this more than once, but this is one of the key cornerstones of my theology that God came to Adam and Eve and he confronted them and he said, did you do what I told you not to do? And what happened? I think here we get the telling of a vineyard tale where we see one key attribute of the problem. It's T-O-B. It's like a disease that we all get. T-O-B. Transfer of blame. That's the diagnosis. God says that Adam and Eve, did you do what I told you not to do? And guess what they say? Adam says, no, nah, it was the woman that you gave me. And then what did Eve say? It was the snake's fault. So this is what we like to do. When we're confronted with a problem, instead of saying, oh, I feel sorry. Or instead of actually saying, yes, I did wrong. We try to find somebody else to blame. But in the end, even if we recognize we've done something wrong, that's not good enough. God wasn't just asking Adam and Eve to say, yes, you had done something wrong. He wanted, God wanted them to say yes and then to actually change things. But instead, what ended up happening is Adam and Eve got kicked out of the garden and this beautiful thing that they had been called to participate in was gone, was ruined forever. It's 
the story of the beginning. And the beginning is always a good place to start if you want to find out why things ended up the way that they did. There's this uh, writer, Carol Adams, and I like her a lot. She's a feminist vegan, and I'm a vegan. So today is our you know, St. Francis thing, and you know, we're going to have uh, our animals and the blessing of the animals. This, there's this book called A Faith That Embraces All Creation. And the, the essay that Carol Adams wrote, she says, Christians read Genesis chapter 2 and 3, and they say, well, you know, didn't God give us dominion? So doesn't that mean that we have a right to do whatever we want to? And she says, well, here's the problem, is that if, and again, we're talking about kings and queens here, if kings and queens treated their subjects the way that we treat the earth, there would be nobody to care for, right? So the problem is we have confused dominion with domination, she says. And so we have taken scriptures and used it as an excuse to be a, be a people who like to dominate others, just like Adam and Eve, rather than listening to God and feeling that we have been created in the image of God, we decide that it's better if we would just be gods. And then when we're confronted by it, what we do is we T-O-B, try to find somebody else to blame. These are vineyard tales. So Isaiah is retelling the story. Genesis is retelling the same story. Here we have Jesus confronting the Sanhedrin. And he goes up to them and he says, now the Sanhedrin would have heard this story very clearly. In fact, actually it says they knew that Jesus was talking about them in the parables. Because, you know, the Sanhedrin had been the ones who had been given the charge by God to be caretakers of the people, to care for their faith, to give them things that help them to be able to be good and faithful. But what the Sanhedrin had done is tried to figure out how to be just like the Romans. So you had the governors, and then you had the Roman guards, and then you had everyone else that had taken over Israel and tried to use it for their own benefit. And here you have the Sanhedrin who are doing the exact same thing. So that their religion and their faith had become a tool for exploitation and domination rather than a tool to help them figure out how to be good human beings. They had lost the ability to love because they had used their religion as a way of dominating each other. Isaiah says, I looked for justice and all I found was bloodshed. I looked for righteousness and all I heard was crying. Jesus says, what do you think is going to happen? The landowner, he's going to come back and he's going to take this away from you. Because this is what happens when you're not faithful at taking care of what you've been given. And quickly, I want to tell you this story. There were a people who had been given a vineyard tale, who had heard a song like this remade for themselves. But then after a couple of generations, they turned that song into an excuse to find someone else to blame. And 2,000 years later, they continued to read this same story or hear this same song and use it as an excuse to point fingers at other people. And I'm talking specifically here, I change and just give you clarity. Here what happens if you look through the history of the interpretation of this particular text 
from John Chrysostom all throughout the Middle Ages, all the way up until the early 19th century, what you will find is that people always, Christians always interpreted this text to say that what God was doing in Jesus was condemning the Jews. Because the Jews did not like Jesus. The Jews were unfaithful. They were stiff-necked people. Right? But what we see if we learn our own history is that Christians did the same thing that the Jews did, did the same thing that everyone always does, which is T-O-B. Instead of reading this and realizing this story is about us, we decide to find someone else to say that this story is really about somebody else, that they did wrong. But the story is not about somebody else. The story is about us. We are the ones who were put in the garden with this enormous beauty around us, this creation that we're called to be caretakers of. And all we do is figure out that we think that we've got a right to exploit it, to do whatever we want to with what we've been given because we want to be gods. And when we read the story, what we find is Jesus saying, as long as you think that you're in control and you just decide to do whatever you want to, what you have is going to be taken away from you. Because God has given it to you not to be dominators, but to be caretakers. This morning, as we're celebrating our choir, and as we're doing our missions things, and as we're reading together as a congregation, and we're trying to figure out what we're called to be, I want to challenge us this morning to hear this story as it's told again, as we're reading Jesus, tell this vineyard tale, is retelling the story that Isaiah told, retelling the story that's gone all throughout our faith tradition's history, that we would hear it as a call to us to repent. Now, I'm not asking you to say that you're guilty of anything. Because here, I don't think Jesus cares whether we feel guilty. Whether we feel sorry or whether we actually ourselves feel like we have done something wrong. If you go to the memorial in D.C., or the, the, the more memorial, the Jewish, the Holocaust memorial in Manhattan. You'll get to the end, or you'll get to this spot where you can go and just kind of reflect. There's this verse from Genesis that says, the blood in the earth cries out, right? And there's this phrase that I think should haunt us, this never again, never again. When we see that something happens in the world that's devastating and horrible, we as a people need to learn the call of repentance that we say to ourselves, never again. And I don't think that that just means about the Holocaust. I think that means with every injustice. God is looking out and God is saying, I'm looking for justice and all I see is bloodshed. I'm looking for righteousness and all I see is people in need crying for help. What we as a people are called to do is not to say, hey, I'm guilty, I was the one that did that. What we're called to do as a people is, sure, if we're guilty, admit it. But we're called to repentance that at the deep heart of our faith is this calling to be caretakers of the world around us and our challenge to say, look, the world is broken and I want to be a part of making that U-turn, that metanoia, that repentance this faith tradition that says, you know, the world's not always been the way it should be, but we're going to change that. We're going to be something different. We're going to get it right this time. And we're probably going to make some mistakes. And we can say that we've made mistakes, but we're not just going to say them. We're going to come up with actions 
We're going to come up with a strategy to make things different. We're going to try our best to be people so that when God calls out to us and looks for justice and he says, well, maybe they didn't get it right, but darn it, they tried. Wouldn't it be, wouldn't that be amazing if we felt as a people that when God looks at us, God is able to say, I looked for righteousness and I heard people crying, but I knew that there was a people over here somewhere that I could call on that could be faithful. This morning, as we hear this rendition of the story told, I pray that that's our heart, that we would want to be a people that when God looks at us, God says, you've been faithful, even if you've not been perfect. In the name of Jesus, amen.